What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Aaron Mello podcast. I had to laugh because I've probably done this intro three or four times already. I should probably just leave them in there for, you know, somebody's humor. Um, I'm excited. We are back with episode three. It is a solo podcast, so it's just me. I'm probably going to be rambling about a few different things. Last week, I put out a Q&A on my Instagram. Thank you to those who did reach out and ask some questions. So we'll be getting through that in the very beginning here and uh, going over a little bit why about why I've decided to just be done with weddings now. If you're familiar with my work, I had said that at the end of 2023, I would be done photographing and filming weddings. But recently, I decided to just put a hard stop on that February 1st, yesterday. So we'll get into that, and as I mentioned, some of the Q&A, so I guess we might as well just roll into it right now. Uh, as far as the wedding thing goes, a lot of people keep asking why I'm quitting weddings. Uh, one person specifically asked, why do you hate weddings so much on my Instagram? It's not that I hate weddings. I guess to back up a little bit, I never intended to get into wedding photography, now, I've been a photographer since I was a teenager. If you've listened to my first podcast, goes a little bit more into where I started, how I started, all the good stuff like that. And a few people here and there would ask me why I don't get into wedding photography or, hey, maybe you should get into wedding photography. And the way that I saw my business developing did not include weddings. Now, to be completely honest, it seemed incredibly overwhelming at first. I didn't have the experience of shooting anything that fast-paced and really that important, if I'm being honest. I've done family shoots and, you know, little things here and there like senior shoots, so I couldn't just dive into wedding photography because of the lack of experience, but also not really knowing where to start. So if we fast forward to 2017, 2018, a friend of mine had been asked to do a wedding for a couple and he wanted to know if I would be interested in shooting video as they had asked if they knew anybody who shot video. So sure enough, that was going to be my first filming in the wedding industry and he, it was actually going to be his, this other photographer's first wedding shoot as well. So we sat down with a couple, we explained exactly what the expectations were. This is both of our first wedding gigs kind of going into it. Here's what you can expect. Here's what we will provide. Being very clear on all the deliverables and expectations, really just to, to cover our own rears to make sure that nothing happened after the fact. I will be honest in saying that I don't think I had a signed contract, but that was also about six years ago, so I don't really remember anymore. I also feel like I shot a lot of photo instead of video, so as I'm saying this, I don't even remember what the video looked like. I remember a bunch of the photos that I took, but I almost am wondering if I even shot much video or what I did for that. But anyways, here we are. So after that, it just kind of started to... Uh, snowball, I guess, if you would, into my interest in shooting weddings. Hey, that wasn't quite as bad as I thought. You know, once I got to see everything firsthand, it made it a little easier to say, hey, this is something that I can do. So a couple months went by and some people I knew were getting married. They already had a photographer who I knew. And I said, hey, would your couple be interested in having a video done? Kind of put that word in for me. And it was kind of somebody that I knew, friend of friend of friend type of men, uh, type of thing going on. So I reached out and said, hey, I will do this video for, I think, $600. And they said, sure, that would be awesome. Absolutely. Long story short, did the video, $600. They loved it. They cried when they saw it. Kind of just really getting rolling with it now. 
that's a video that I look back on and I go, oh, that looks terrible. But that's just me. That's my own worst inner critic going after my work. We all have to do it. We all have to get through that first one, whether it's the first podcast, the first wedding, the first shoot, things not even related to photography as well. As long as you just get it done, you go from there. And that was the biggest hurdle for me was just getting through it. So again, moving on a few months, I met another photographer who was exclusively a wedding photographer at the time and really just started working closely with them and just got my feet wet as far as, hey, this is something that I can do. This is something I'm going to branch out now and market myself toward. And, you know, the cliche term of the rest is history, really. I mean, now we're in the second month of 2023 and, you know, I don't really keep track of the number of weddings that I've done. It's not an exponential amount by any means. I'm not some 30, 40, 50 a year photographer for weddings, but I would say over the past six years, or actually this will be my sixth season, it's got to be somewhere 60 or 70. I honestly, I don't know. I try not to put a number on it because the way that my mind works, anytime that I put a number on something, it means that there has to be metrics and there has to be kind of these KPIs and figuring out all of these things and how can I do better and what, just all of this inner critic stuff and and numbers, numbers, numbers. I guess that comes from my sales background, but I guess to really start to figure out the question of why do you hate weddings? And again, it's not that I hate weddings, but For anybody who shoots weddings as a photographer or a videographer, you know how much of a drain that they can be. Anything from the initial consultation to meeting with the client for their engagement session, the day of activities, it's a long-winded process that can be, you know, a two, three-year thing in the making. But really what I'm pointing at is the day of is just draining. Now, I, I never wanted to do long weddings. I never really offered eight, nine, ten hours as some people want and really try to steer people to the six to seven hour sweet spot because really that just encapsulates everything. And I've never wanted to just put a gallery full of fluff. Here's every photo I took. I made sure that I was very clear with the expectations of your gallery is probably going to have 300, maybe 350 edited photos if I'm there for six, seven, eight hours. That way I could focus on the composition, focus on the shots, not just spray and pray and go, here you go, which I feel like a lot of people when they're hiring a photographer are looking for. Well, this photographer said that they'll give me 2,000, 3,000 shots. Great, but you're going to have a lot of duplicates. You're going to have a lot of people with closed eyes. You're going to have blurry photos, whatever it may be. So I really tried to just cull down my galleries and deliver only what I think are the best. Now, that's besides the point, but back to saying that the day is pretty draining. You're just always on. You're on from the moment you get there to well after you leave. And that's what I've always tried to explain to people that if I'm at a wedding for eight hours, say I'm there from two to 10, I get home, I'm wired. It's like I had a Red Bull at 10 o'clock at night because my adrenaline's going, you know, my creativity's going, everything is just kind of on full blast. So even when I get home, I can take a shower, have something to eat, maybe have a drink. I'm still ready to go. So it's hard to come down from those things. And a lot of wedding nights, I'm not in bed until two, three, four hours after I get home once my body kind of adapts to that. So that's kind of a big deal. Now, 
I'm sure there are people not in the wedding industry that'll say, wow, you worked for eight hours, big deal. Uh, and I'm not putting that as, oh, woe is me. You know, somebody, uh, I have respect for landscapers because that's something that I've done in the dead of summer before where it's 90, 100 degrees around here for eight, nine, 10 hours. That's a completely different amount of work. But at least as far as wedding photography goes, it gets draining. You put a lot of work, you put a lot of effort into it. This is your craft. This is your artistry. And you as the artist have a lot of expectations of the client on your end as well. You want them to love the experience that they had. You want them to give you rave reviews. You want them to shout from the top of a mountain how amazing their photographer was and they can't wait to see the photos. And then when they get the photos, you want them to share them with everybody on social media and just write you reviews here, there, everywhere, tell you for the next six months how much they love you. Those expectations might sound a little high, yes, but I know for somebody like myself who needs that constant reassurance because there are some clients that can do the opposite of that, where they get their gallery and you don't hear from them. That is disheartening for somebody like myself as an artist, as a creative you can deliver a gallery and not hear anything when you might have been particularly stoked on the whole gallery or a couple shots, whatever it may be. There's definitely been a few times where a situation like that has happened to me and it really just starts to deflate, deflate me or maybe deflate my self-confidence. And I don't have an ego, but I know when my work is good and I expect to hear back from people that they loved my work. It's just as... Uh, as stunning to them as it was to me or whatever the case may be. So I had run into that a few times with a few different clients and I'm not trying to let a bad egg spoil the bunch. And we'll get into that a little bit later because there's a, another thing about social media that I want to talk about in uh, illusory correlation and, and how that works with, uh, you know, actually against our minds. But so when it comes to that, and then it just seems to be compounded, you know, when there's a list of expectations in your contract that this is what you're getting. And it always seems to be that after the fact, there's clients who just want more, 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 and you want to just fall back on the contract. Hey, I understand that you might be looking for XYZ, but you can see that my deliverables are XYZ. I'm not not sure what your expectations were or why they were different from anything. So that was another thing that I ran into often is that people maybe either didn't read the contract, breezed right through it, didn't understand certain things, didn't ask questions after ample amount of opportunities for me to say or for me to question them and say, do you have any questions? Is there anything you're unsure of? Ask, ask, ask and make sure we're always on the same page and always transparent. So that is also another thing on why I'm getting out of weddings. It may sound dramatic, and as I'm saying it now, it, it sounds a little dramatic from the outside. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in it, but I'm outside. I'm not dealing with any wedding clients right now that, you know, haven't loved their galleries, but it's just a, a reminder of I want people to hire me for my artistry and a lot of that kind of rolls into also budget-based clients. Now, look, I have a budget for certain things in life, whether it's groceries or my business or my kids or things for myself. I understand typically what things cost. I understand what I have. I understand what I can spend. I don't go into a dealership of a high-end vehicle and ask the price of something that I already know of and then go, okay, I just wanted to make sure. 
And the reason that I bring up that example is because I get a lot of inquiries where people either don't look at the price of my packages and then when I do talk about them, they ghost. And that's that's industry-wide, or I should say, that's just, just about everywhere where you offer a service. People just ghost because it's easier. People don't necessarily want to say, I cannot afford you. And that's completely fine. That's always been fine in my book. If I can't afford something, that's fine. I'm going to say, okay, I can't afford it, and I'm not going to just, you know, ghost somebody on it. And again, that's why I use the car example. I'm not going to go to a BMW dealership and ask how much a, a 750 Li is and go, oh, okay, uh, yeah, any wiggle room? I, I mean, knowing really that they're over $100,000 and just not in my budget. But then you have the people who say, hey, I saw your price. Is that what your price is? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know why it would be anything else, but... I really always tried to formulate a relationship before the price thing is mentioned, but there are just those clients who are budget-driven shoppers, and that's perfectly fine, but I prided myself in not being that type of photographer. If you have a certain budget that's half of what I would normally ask, I'm sorry, but that's not how my business operates. That's not my business model, and, and I can't do that. And I always try to ask people if they have wiggle room or let's have a conversation. Let's see if we even get along. Let's vibe on some particular level, some common interest. And that's really always important to me first and foremost. But some people just don't want to have those conversations and that's fine. So just kind of those three things that I had mentioned have just really started to drag down my view of the industry as a whole. Just in my experience, I'm not saying for anybody else, this just isn't, this just is no longer where my passion lies. Wedding photography can be an absolute blast for me when I have clients who I really connect with. And every wedding photographer can relate that some clients you just resonate with. You have the best day. You have them as, quote, the best clients. And you want to look at their gallery and you want to post their gallery all the time and just shout it from the rooftops being like, this client was my shit. But then you have other clients who just seem like they paid you for a service and goodbye. And I never liked that. And you're going to get those. I understand that, but I'm rambling. So again, to wrap it up, it's not that I hate weddings. It's just that they they are a, a, a daunting thing in my life where I love some of them, but it seemed to start weighing on my passion and my mindset and my psyche a little bit more than I had ever intended for it to. So it's not that I'm just switching gears out of nowhere. It's just that I put a harder stop on them for my own sanity. When something started to drag me down or no longer become fun or exciting or a passion, then I know it's time to get out. And there's 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 no good time to do it, which is also another question that I'll answer. There's no good time to just, okay, you know, now, oh yeah, great, now is the time. You know, I figured the end of 23 would be it. But again, for my own sanity, February 1st, yesterday, I'm not taking any more weddings. Unless you're a referral from an awesome client, then we'll talk about that otherwise. But from the general public, I'm no longer accepting weddings. Also, unless you want to get married in Iceland. But anyways, I think that kind of covers that topic, that boom, weddings, done. 
Got another question here. Uh, can we move to New Hampshire, please? Well, uh, I didn't win Mega Millions two nights ago, so uh, no. A couple other questions here that, um, what would be a dream project or a client? It's a good question because as I really start to pivot my business into doing more video and doing more film, I'm really starting to look into the outdoors lifestyle space because I'm really starting to formulate things that I already do. How can I kind of combine my passions as hobbies and my passions for work? So as far as a dream client or project, I don't have necessarily a particular project in mind, but I know that clients like Columbia Sportswear um, you know, Columbia is someone that I use their their hiking boots, their jackets, their base layers, uh, their pants that, you know, there's there's already use on my end just as a hobby. So when we go hiking in New Hampshire in, you know, the dead of winter, these are things that I'm already using. Okay, so I have the passion of being outside and hiking. Now, how do I kind of combine that with my career of photography and videography? So that's kind of the, the where I'm at right now at my pivot point on February 2nd, 2023. I'm no longer doing weddings. Where do I go from here? And this is the design phase of the next stop or the next step in my career. So as far as a dream client goes, it would probably be Columbia. I want the opportunity to travel around the country or even around the world to do some incredible hikes, showing off the gear that I use, kind of the, the company's motto, their their brand, their, their whole ideology of the outdoor life. And there's so many companies like that. You know, for instance, REI, which has become one of my new favorite stores. I just bought a new hiking pack from them. So that will be used for all of my winter hikes and probably most of my summer hikes more than just a couple of hours. So those will be photographed or I'll put those in a video and just really start to build this portfolio of the, the, the career and the projects and the businesses that I want to work with. And it's certainly easier said than done. And I, I don't really have the framework for it, but I'm building it as I go because this is where my passions lie and this is where I see myself going. It's something that I truly have an interest and a love for, so I will do whatever I need to to actually push through and to make that a reality. So I hope that answers that question. I know it's a little bit uh, a little bit broad, but that's okay. Another question was the favorite part of the video process. Now, typically with uh, a video, it can be pre-production, actual filming, and then editing, color correction, color grading, really as just a, a very uh, broad three-step process. And pre-production can be exciting because that's when everybody is excited about the project. You're storyboarding, you're figuring out dialogue, you're figuring out how you want the video to look, how you're going to approach it, the framing of everything, and, and really start to have it come together for more than just an idea. So I would say that pre-production can be one of my favorite parts. I, I don't think it's going to be my favorite part. So to answer that question more directly, I would say that the editing it typically seems to be my favorite part because look, you can have 100 to 200 clips of a certain shoot and really not know how you're going to put it together. 
Is it going to be a linear video where you're literally just putting in clips one after another, after another, after another to tell a very basic story? Yeah, absolutely. That can be done. But I think the the more exciting ones are when you filmed this day and then that day and this subject, that subject, and you had a sit down interview or and then you had something on site and it's up to you to really be able to tell that story in a cohesive way. And I was able to do that with a project um, in the 10th anniversary of Hauling for Hunger last year where we had sit down interviews, we had on site things, we had back, uh, sorry, we had behind the scenes things. So there was a lot going on and it wasn't going to be just a linear video. Everything that I shot could just be dropped into a timeline. It was great to work with marketing for ATG and kind of have their vision for what they were looking for, combine it with mine and really have a lot of play back and forth on how we wanted this video to look. And it was just that. Maybe something in the very beginning was filmed at the end of filming. And then you just kind of go from there. And it's it's every step of the way to be able to really tell a story. So I think the editing would have to be my favorite. I think physically editing can be daunting because you're behind a computer for 10, 20, 40 hours, however long it takes to put that story together. But I definitely enjoy those moments because it's 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 a moment where I get to be with myself. I get to have music on. I get to enjoy a cup of coffee. I get to really be in the moment and enjoy that. And I don't think a lot of people get an opportunity to do their job like that. So I, I definitely strive to put out as much as I can on my own. But it's nice to have the input of somebody else as well. Um, so th- there's a little bit of back and forth on on working alone in comparison to working in an office or working on a team or I guess that's a conversation probably for another time. Another question that I got was, how do I know when it's time to quit my job? And I, I feel like this is something that I could probably spend an entire podcast speaking about. But I think the most important thing to realize is that there will never be a good time. There's never going to be a moment where you can just go, you know what? I have all this money in the bank. I have my car paid off. I have my house paid off, whatever it might be, and go, you know what? Now's good. There's there's not going to be some shining sign from the universe that says, hey, now is time to quit your job. You might have to really be introspective and mindful of these moments because they will happen, but just not how you expect them to, whether that's layoffs at work, whether that's your position being eliminated, whether that's you got a new camera. I, I don't I don't even know, for example, but little moments like that can certainly be those pivot points for somebody who might be in a job or a career that they don't love to go then do something that they do love so there's no good time because if you sit around and wait you'll wait around forever because there's just not that hard stop where you can go now is the time you have to make that stop for yourself kind of like what I did when I said you know what I don't want to be in sales anymore I don't want to be out of the house for 12 to 13 hours Doing something that I don't enjoy just because it's decent money, it pays my bills, and it allows me to live comfortably, I guess you can say. That's also at the expense of spending less time with my kids, having to commute for three, four hours a day, and everything else that falls into that. I don't want to be repetitive on my first episode, but you kind of just have to 
evaluate the risk versus the reward. And what I mean by that is, do you have an emergency fund savings account, for instance? Do you have a rainy day fund? Do you have six to eight months of bills that you can pay with your savings account before you even start to consider something else? I, I, I can be honest right now and say that I did not, but that's different. And I don't mean in a, in a positive way necessarily. I mean, I just kind of said F it and went out the window. But if you can at least start there, figure out a game plan from there. If you have this idea, I'm going to steal a little bit from Chase Jarvis. He has this acronym IDEA. I-D-E-A. Imagine, design, execute, and amplify. So the first step in your process should be to imagine. Imagine what it is that you want to do. Imagine what it will take to get there. Imagine what you will need to be successful or maybe not even thinking that far ahead, but just going from zero to one. Imagine how that is done. Figure it out as in, in your imagination to figure out now how you need to go on to D to design the reality of that. Design what it would look like Design now this passion of yours on how you can go and do this every day of your life. Say you already checked off the box that, okay, I have enough in my savings account that I can pay bills for the next eight months with no more incoming money. Design it to figure out what you're going to do on a day-to-day basis. And this is where a lot of people get worried that they think they need to fill up their schedules from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Monday through Friday or Saturday, or even the mentality that you have to work seven days a week that's not real. But figure out how you go from zero to one. If you're uh, somebody who loves photography and you say, you know what, I want to be a photographer. I've done this. I've done paid jobs. I've done weddings. I've done portraits, whatever it is. How do I make this my everyday thing? Well, I can't lay the groundwork for you, but you really have to design it and how you think it's going to work. You're going to hit the wall. You're going to fail. You're going to make mistakes, but it's better than the alternative of being in a job that you don't love and you aren't passionate about. So you have to just be designing this new life and figuring out how you pivot when things might not work, but you have to stick with it. I think all too often that people in the design phase think they need the clear groundwork for how they are going to succeed, how they're going to work 40 hours a week, how they're going to make a hundred grand, how they're going to do this, this, and this, rather than here's where I start with this camera. Here's how I use this camera more every day. Here's how I get my name out. Here's how I get my brand out. Here's what I need to do, whether it's working for free, doing family stuff. Again, so many ideas on what you can do design phase. Now, the most important part from there is going to be to execute. You have the imagination. You've imagined what it is. You've designed kind of this this groundwork on how you go from zero to one. Now you need to execute. A lot of times in a situation where sales is involved or self-employment is involved, people look to their friends and family first. How are you going to execute? You start shooting photos of your friends, their families, their kids, uh, whatever it is that they do for work. Maybe they have a nice car, but you need to execute in one way or another because you just need to get in motion. Uh, what is it? A, a body in motion stays in motion. A body at rest stays at rest. So if you're continually shooting, editing, going out there, hitting the pavement, 
just it's going to continue that way. You're going to shoot, edit, repeat, shoot, edit, repeat. If you just sit in front of your computer all day saying, I don't know what I'm going to do today, then you're just going to stay stuck in that spot. After you execute, you amplify. How do you go now from one to five? I've done this for the past three months. Now for the next three months, how do we double that? How do we triple that? And I don't necessarily mean your income. I just mean the amount of work that you're doing because the more work that you're doing in your passion, the more happy you're going to be. And again, income is a byproduct of your happiness. Remember that. I am somebody who very much would put my income at risk just by doing something that I loved. Now, I mean at risk by, okay, maybe I took a pay cut. And that's what I did when I left my job. I took a pay cut, but I knew I was going to be something. I knew I was going to be doing something that I loved. And that to me was more important. My core values of having more time to spend with my kids who aren't going to be small forever, take a pay cut, that worked much better for my life and my values. And I'm not saying that's going to be the same for you, but you have to put that into perspective when you're kind of in that imagine or design phase. And I think that's very important. So if you follow that, then I I definitely, look, there's no money back guarantee here uh, because this is free, but I, I guarantee that if you put that into motion, you will see results and it's not going to happen immediately, but you have to have patience six months to a year, give it your all. And I can tell you that you'll be much happier for doing that. So I hope that answers the question of when do I know it's time to quit my job? I think an important topic to get into to close this one out, which is certainly not going to be a short rant, if you will. But I think more and more as I progress in my career and in my personal life, just how negatively I see that social media impacts myself and I think, you know, any creative as a whole. And this is just my perspective. This is just my opinion. And everybody is going to have a different opinion on it. But I am somebody who looks at social media and I just get anxious. I, I, I get I get anxious because I've put too much into social media thinking that it is a benchmark of my artistry or my benchmark as an artist or a photographer or a videographer, filmmaker, whatever title, I put way too much into that. There will be plenty of times where I take a step back from social media by deleting the app on my phone, logging out from my computer and not using it for a couple of weeks. Just before Christmas, I was off of there for, I want to say, two to three weeks, and I felt incredible. There's little changes that happen to your body physically in terms of the whole dopamine thing, but also I found myself being happier, and it was almost subconscious because I didn't have to play the comparison game, which is very much a subconscious thing, but can very much creep up into your conscious. And what I mean by that is... If you follow people who have a million followers, they're getting hundreds of thousands of likes. They're getting so much feedback. They're working with big brands. They're working with celebrities. I think anybody in my position would look at that and start to just feel like I'm not enough. I'm not good enough as an artist. And that kind of just starts to domino into I'm not good as a person. I'm not good as a parent. 
and it's just it's it's toxic and you know the word toxic is thrown around so much nowadays i feel like but i think it's so true when it comes to social media now i don't have a big following i've never had a big following and i've always been okay with that there have been times where man i wish i i had x amount of followers because then i what do i think i would feel i would feel some type of validation because i have 4,000 followers, 10,000, 50, 100? Am I supposed to feel a different way just because somebody can double tap the screen as they scroll to death? And I realize that that's the mentality a lot of people get themselves into. And that's one that I really started to sink into that I would put up a piece of work that I was particularly stoked about and it would get five likes, six likes, 10 likes. And I would start to go, you know what? Maybe that was shit. Maybe that photo isn't that good. Maybe I had false expectations that somehow everybody on Instagram was going to see it and it was going to go viral and I would feel great. That would be that huge hit of dopamine that I would need to feel good as an artist. So it's almost the the mentality of it's going to be different this time. And you know what I'm talking about, whether it's relationships or whatever it might be. I, I seem to always fall back into that pit of it's going to be different this time. I'm going to use it different this time. That's why it's going to be different. I'm going to log in once a day, consume some stuff, and maybe post something, and that's it. Once a day. Once a day turns into two, turns into five, turns into ten, turns into every couple minutes I'm checking my social media, and that's awful. It becomes such muscle memory that I'll be sitting here editing, and I'll get to a part that I'm stoked about, and I'll edit it and I'll go to take a break and I'll pick up my phone and look. And then I'll put it down for another couple minutes, edit, maybe grade something that looks awesome, pick up my phone and look. What is it that I'm looking for? Another hit of dopamine because somebody liked a photo or somebody followed me or somebody messaged me? To me, it's just not worth it. And I've really taken a step back from it and I've started to come across that whole maybe, okay, what if I start to unfollow a lot of people? Maybe I should unfollow everybody so I'm not comparing my work to anybody. But then the problem still lies that if I'm going to put up photos or videos, I'm not going to get a lot of feedback because that's just the way the game works. Oh, well, for a while, the reels were really getting all of the the attention. Well, I, I don't want to make rules. Uh, I don't want to make reels just because they're getting all the attention. I, I don't want to go out of my way to make something that I n wouldn't normally make or feel good about just to put out content. And that's what I'm still trying to unlearn, which I think is a very good word to take away from this, if I'm being honest, unlearn. We, com we concern ourselves so much with learning. How do we learn this? How do we learn to do that? How do I learn to do this? What about unlearning? And I think that it's up to me to unlearn what I think about social media based on people that I've spent my time with. People that think you need to be on social media six, seven, eight hours a day. You need to post three times a day. You need to interact with this person, that person, everybody who does something. You need to follow a million people. You just need to be constantly on it. And I can tell you right now, there's not a need for that, at least in my life, maybe in yours, but not mine. Because when I do that, I just see my mood go down. I see myself uh, I, I see myself just becoming this person that I don't like. I start to evaluate all my work and I think it's all shit. I wonder why I have a camera. I wonder why I even do this in the first place. Maybe I should just go back to the sales world and nine to five job. 
And that sounds drastic. That sounds dramatic. But that's just, that's what social media does to me. And it's important for me to just realize those are thoughts. But those thoughts are powerful when it comes to myself. And that's why I, I think that people really need to be honest with themselves and introspective, whether you're self-employed, whether you're a creative, whether you're an artist or not. You know, I know people who aren't self-employed and people who have nine to five jobs, but they will just sit on social media. They'll scroll and they'll scroll and they'll scroll. And, and I'm just, I, I, I see it from the outside and I wonder what the hell they are getting from it. Is it funny videos? Is it the TikTok-like now experience that Instagram has become where you just scroll, 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 scroll? It's so mindless. And I, I even see my own son doing it on Instagram that it's just you lay there and you scroll and you scroll and you scroll. Like whatever happened to being able to sit in silence? And that's something that I, I really pride myself on being able to do. It's not often but it's only because of the way my life is set up right now with being a dad and having this job and everything else, but not because my phone, but being able to just sit in silence, there's something about that that you just cannot put a price on. And I think a lot of people, I should say, I know a lot of people are completely unable to do that for themselves, with themselves. People just can't sit there in silence. And I don't mean silence like reading a book and having music on, or whatever it might be, but I mean pure silence. Waking up in the morning, nothing, whether an air purifier, whether their phone next to them, being able to just listen to life around you. There's so much good in that. And you could go into the stories about how, or, or the studies rather, not even stories, about how living somewhere where it's loud just based on traffic adds to people's anxiety and depression. So that alone right there should tell you how important silence is, how important stillness is. Sit on your couch, enjoy a cup of coffee, actually enjoy the cup of coffee without a phone in your hand, without a book in your hand, just enjoy that. But I'm getting into a tangent now about all the things that social media make us avoid or not even make us but subconsciously avoid now when's the last time you woke up and didn't look at your phone right away when's the last time you woke up you opened your eyes you laid in bed you stretched you just stretched all of your muscles you looked around you looked out your window you looked at the trees you saw the birds flying by you saw the snow falling you saw whatever it was in the world around you going on naturally not looking on social media to see you know, who might have posted, who might have commented, who might have followed. Because I assure you that you can get dopamine from other ways that aren't as much of a, a, a toxic uh, addiction. And I just think that, again, as I go on with my career, I'm realizing just how detrimental this is to my own self-confidence, my own artistry, my own creativity. And... Sure, we can argue all day long about how maybe social media makes people creative. They see what other people are doing and they want to go do that too. But don't fall into the trap of what you see on social media is real life. Because what you see on social media is bullshit. People aren't putting their failures on social media. People are, are putting their highlight reel, no pun intended, on social media. Look at me, I'm traveling. 
Look at me, I'm on a plane. Look at me, I'm on a beach. Look at me, I just won XYZ. Look at me, I just got a raise. But people love that shit. It's people who are winning in silence just as much as they're failing in silence because they know it's better for them and they know it's better for their whole mindset. And that's what I've started to adopt. And it's a process, it's a practice because I'm not sitting here being holier than thou saying, you know what? I haven't used social media and XYZ. I deleted the app last night, two nights ago. I think on, uh, what is today, Thursday? I deleted the app Tuesday night. So it's been, what, 36 hours since I've used Instagram? Sure, my muscle memory is still picking up my phone, scrolling over to where Instagram was, and I still have to remember, oh, I deleted it a day and a half ago. That's how bad it is, knowing that I deleted it, and I'm still reaching out for it like I'm expecting something because I need that dopamine. It's pretty bad. So I, I think the takeaway from this is to just really evaluate what social media is doing for you, and, and that's everything, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all of them, they all have their weaknesses. They all have just that that negative side effect. And I'm not going to say that it's all bad. Delete all social media. Don't ever go on it again. But just really start to be mindful of how these things are being used by you and how they're affecting you, affecting your relationships. Because nobody wants to be next to somebody who's constantly scrolling constantly on their phone, looking up nonsense. We've all been there. We all do it. We've all done it. But just be mindful of it and start to realize that, you know what? I could go without it. Give yourself these tasks. Go without touching your phone for an hour. Put it on silent. Put it in the other room. That's how you'll start to make this habit. Don't keep giving yourself excuses on, well, I went an hour, so now I can use it for the rest of the day. That's not how this works. You could win an hour. Okay, now go two hours. You went two hours, check it, make sure nobody died, and then go three hours, whatever it is. But just keep giving yourself these goals. But again, I could rant about social media until I'm blue in the face. But the reason that I bring up social media also and what I had mentioned earlier is because of uh, I had posted on my Instagram, oddly enough, right, a few months ago about illusory correlation. And you're probably saying, what the hell is illusory correlation? Well, in, in psychology, it's the phenomenon of perceiving a relationship between variables, even when no such relationship exists. So for instance, say if you're, a, if you're a, a fan of sports, say that a hockey player taped up their stick in a particular way, maybe they've never done it before, and that same night they scored two goals. Now that's illusory correlation because they're going to say, you know what, because I taped my stick that way, that's why I scored the two goals. But it, there's, there's absolutely no reason for those to be correlated because more often than not, it's not going to be true. It, it happens when we mistakenly overemphasize an outcome and exaggerate, or I'm sorry, and, and, and ignore the others. So for instance, I, I fell into this trap the other night. I said, you know what? I, I, I never play uh, Mega Millions. I never play the lottery. I'm, I'm going to play Mega Millions because... You know, maybe because I never play that I'll have a better chance of winning where my chances are still one in, I think it was over 300 million. So, but I, I fell into this ideology of because I don't play often, I'm going to play once, I'm going to hit big and that's it. That's illusory correlation. It, it's pretty crazy because there are examples just to make it, I guess, a, a little more dumbed down that, you know, say you you go to a new town and 
the driver of the Uber was rude. And then you go to the restaurant and the waiter, the, the waiter was rude. And then somebody on the street, you know, elbows you or shoves you as you walk by. They're rude. So you're going to say, you know what? People in that town are rude. But, but how many millions of people did you not deal with that are amazing that aren't those three instances? That's illusory correlation. So I bring this up because I think there's illusory correlation in social media that is just so mindless and is so subconscious or even unconscious that people don't realize it. That people, again, put their highlight reel on there that's not real life. People that just won this new uh, car or got this new job, okay? How is it related to their happiness? And that's what I'm trying to get at. The happiness versus the tangible items or the physical items or the physical goods or whatever, the money that you make, they're not directly correlated. And this is something we can get into another time because it would be great to have somebody else to kind of go back and forth with it on, not just sit here and argue with myself or feel like I'm standing up on a pedestal saying social media is bad, illusory correlation, you should think this way, you should think that way, because I'm not. You're free to think about anything however you want, but I hope that maybe in this almost hour-long episode, you can just have some takeaways from it. You can say, you know what? That resonated with me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be mindful of that going forward. I'm going to use my phone a little less today just to see how I feel. I'm going to use it, you know, I'm going to put it down three hours before I go to bed instead of 30 minutes. How do I sleep? Do I sleep better? Do I feel better? I'm not going to use it for two hours after I wake up. How does it feel? How does it feel to enjoy life otherwise? But again, you're free to do what you want. I hope you just take something from this. And I think that's probably about it for today. You know, I I, I feel good talking about what we talked about. I feel like we've we've bounced around a little bit. Uh, We've talked about photo stuff, of course, but we've talked about kind of some mindset shifts that you can put into play, put into practice right after you listen to this. See how it makes you feel. See how things change. But you, you need actual measurable things for you to see how you'll progress. What did I do that worked? What did I do that didn't work? But anyways, in the next couple of weeks, I have a couple of guests coming on that I'm really excited about. And uh, I'm really excited to share those. And I've got some others in the works. Um, So we'll just really start rolling after this. And I'm excited to have these conversations for myself. I'm excited to introduce you to these people. I'm excited to see what these people have to say about all things life, all things artistry, creativity, photography, self-employment. And, uh, you know, we're definitely going to have some people on here who aren't involved in photography as well. So I'm excited about that. But until then, I appreciate everybody listening. Make sure you share this with somebody who might appreciate it. Make sure you share it on social media. That would really, really, did I say social? Share it on social media. That would really be helpful. You know, word of mouth is so important for something like this and my business as a whole. So until then, guys, thank you so much. And I will see you on the next one.